If you have a Bible, go ahead and open to the Gospel of John chapter 14, where we will be beginning this morning. We're going to be jumping around a little bit today, so don't get too comfortable there as we'll be moving on quite quickly into further parts of the New Testament. Over the last few weeks, Pastor John has been walking us throughout the Bible through this theme of God with us, showing how the presence of God dwells with man. We began exploring the presence of God back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve experiencing the presence of God there. And then worked our way throughout the Old Testament and into the New last week with God with us, Emmanuel, with the Word made flesh. How the fullness of God had come to dwell in His people in the person of Jesus. And this week we're going to be wrestling with the reality that Jesus was the fullness of God's presence who had come to dwell among us but he's now left. He ascended to be with the Father. How is the fullness of God's presence dwelling now that Jesus has ascended into heaven? That's the question we're going to be wrestling with. And no doubt, this is a reality which greatly confused the disciples as well. The fullness of God who had come and tabernacled with his people, who died and rose again, had now left them. But the good news for them and for us is that He did not leave them or us alone. John 14, 1, Jesus says that the Father will send another helper to be with them forever. And this helper is the Holy Spirit who will dwell with and will be inside believers. And we find this promise being fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 during Pentecost when there was a mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire came down and rested on each person's head as they became filled with the Holy Spirit. As we consider these things this morning, please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning as we consider your presence through the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you'd open our hearts and our minds to hear what you'd have for us. Lord, I pray that you'd give me clarity of speech and of thought that I might faithfully proclaim the truths of your word. Lord, we love you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If you want to flip there real quick, we're going to read the first four verses. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In our current place in redemptive history, this story that God has been telling throughout all creation, God has promised that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. And with Christ having ascended up to be in heaven, seated at the right hand of God in glory, God is now fulfilling His new covenant promised us by sending His Spirit to dwell with us and to be in us. In fact, God is extending Himself in an even more personal, intimate way than He's ever extended before, sending the Holy Spirit to dwell with and be in us. He gives us the Holy Spirit, who is the presence of God that we get to experience in today. And it's a significant thing that in Acts chapter 2, this was accomplished through means of fire. For in the Old Testament, whenever we see the presence of God, it is often in fire. 
Think of the burning bush when he appeared to Moses as fire in the burning bush. Or he would dwell as a pillar of fire in front of his people. And so the tongues of fire represent the descent of God's presence onto his people. And the imagery of wind and the spirit rushing, it can be traced back to God breathing life into humanity. And so breathing life now, spiritually, into his people. It's important for us to remember that before Christ ended his earthly ministry, he begins a, uh, a new era of redemption with this promise of sending the Holy Spirit to us. He says, These things I have spoken to you while I am so with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit continues Jesus' earthly ministry as he indwells believers in order that Christ's work of reconciliation would be applied to our lives. Therefore, the presence of God resides within us as the consummation or the bringing to a close of what God began with Christ in his atoning work. In fact, one of the main purposes of the Holy Spirit is to help us experience this end-time presence of God as we are patiently awaiting the return of Christ. Therefore, even though Jesus ascended into heaven, we still have the presence of God in the world through the means of the Spirit. So with Christ having ascended, there's another change in how we might experience the presence of God as opposed to before the sending of the Spirit. Before the new covenant, God's promise to be with us was only an external reality. God was out there and he was in the world redeeming. But with the coming of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God now dwells within us. Therefore, one of the most basic purposes for the Spirit is to dwell within us so that we might manifest the presence of God now and forever. No longer is God's presence just this outward expression through the Holy Spirit. That once external reality of God's presence is now an internal reality that we get to experience as we believe in the redemptive work of the Savior. The Spirit, the current dwelling place of God, the current presence of God, excuse me, now dwells within us to bring to a close the objectives of the Lord for his glory and for our joy. But what, what exactly is the significance of the presence of God dwelling within us? What, what implications does that have for our lives? What's the purpose of the Holy Spirit indwelling us? Well, first, the Spirit is what makes our Christian lives even possible in the first place. Because when we have the Spirit, we also have Christ. For it's only through the actions of the Spirit that we sinners are able to be free from the bondage of sin. It's through the Spirit where our justification is applied to our lives. He applies the work of Christ to us, and he unites us together with our servant King, Jesus Christ. A quote from Dr. Sinclair Ferguson says it like this, Our union to Christ is inaugurated by the renewing work of the Spirit in which he begins the transformation into the image of Christ, which will be completed at the eschaton, at the end. The ancient promises thus fulfilled that God would give his people new hearts and new spirits through the indwelling of his spirit, resulting in a new lifestyle. The power of the Holy Spirit is the power of redemption and reconciliation. For it is by this work of applying Christ's atonement to us that we are born again and we are reconciled to God the Father. All that Christ has done is now in the hands of the Holy Spirit. And it is only now through the Spirit's work that any of us can be saved. Therefore, the Spirit applies Christ's redemption to our lives. 
And not only does the Spirit apply Christ's redemption to our lives, but He also seals our lives for all eternity. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Essential in God's work is the sealing work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. His presence in our lives acts as a seal which indicates ownership, which is a guarantee of our inheritance. A seal is something that would be an identifying mark which is often placed on letters or contracts or other important documents that are needing to be sealed. It shows that everything that is contained with that letter was actually sent by the person whose seal was on the outside. If we look to ancient times, seals were even placed on animals in the form of branding in order to indicate to whom that animal belonged and so deter people from stealing them. Back in the Old Testament, God would set a sign on his chosen ones to mark them out, to set them apart as his possession and to keep them from destruction. And we read in Revelation 7 that God places a seal on his people to identify them and protect them from wrath. Or we look to the burial of Jesus where a stone was physically placed over the entrance in order to close it. And so what a seal communicates to us is ownership, protection, and a validation of our relationship. That makes the Holy Spirit the Christian seal then. The Spirit seals His people. God's own Spirit comes to indwell the lives we live. The promised Holy Spirit identifies us as God's inheritance. And the experience of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life is proof to them in a demonstration to others through the Holy Spirit's work of the genuineness of their faith. The Holy Spirit provides assurance that we belong to God as his children. To be sealed with the Holy Spirit is a gracious gift of God where God demonstrates to us the authenticity of our faith of our relationship with him. And it also demonstrates his authority, his ownership, and his commitment to his people. And so the Holy Spirit both applies Christ's redemption to us and seals us for all eternity. The Holy Spirit also sanctifies believers. The Holy Spirit sanctifies believers. Part of the result of sealing believers is the keeping them in the faith. And so it is with sanctifying Sanctification being the growth of a believer, growth of one of us into more Christ-likeness. It's this progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and more and more like Christ in our actual lives. Being made into the image of God is a process which takes time. It is God's work of making us more and more like Jesus so that we can ultimately do what Jesus has done, enter into the presence of the Father. In the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, it was only the high priest who could enter the Holy of Holies. And that was the place where God would dwell with his people. And he was only allowed once per year to enter into the Holy of Holies. And he had to put on special clothing and burn incense and cleanse himself, bringing sacrificial blood to make atonement for sins. And again, once per year he could do that. And so the Spirit sanctifies us, cleanses us in order to prepare us for the end-time presence we will experience of God. We know that the unholy cannot stand before the holy without punishment of death. 
And we also know that this penalty Christ has already taken on our behalf as he died the death we deserved, taking the curse of death on himself. But the glorious thing about God's grace is that his grace doesn't stop there. Rather, the Holy Spirit indwells us so that we might be made holy. The Spirit comes to make us like Christ so that we might experience the end-time presence of God one day. And the Spirit does what the Old Testament law nor the old sacrificial systems could do on their own. He makes us holy as God is holy. And because we have received Christ's righteousness by no work of our own, we are not our own friends. But we are being transformed more and more and more into the image of Christ. We are called to follow Jesus, living lives that glorify Him in all we say and do and think. Which means killing sin in our lives, putting off worldliness and focusing on the things above. In order to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, and love in the peace of Christ. This process of sanctification, of growing to be more like Christ, is what the Spirit works in our lives. But it's not a passive one. We also have a responsibility to, through the power of the Spirit to kill sin, to seek the things above while, we, while the Spirit works in our lives. We're not sitting in the bleachers cheering on the Holy Spirit as He does the work for us. We join with Him and kill sin. Ultimately, the nature of sanctification shows us that we are being made holy in order to prepare us for an eternity with the presence of God. And so the current presence of God, the Spirit, He applies Christ's redemption to us, He seals us, and He sanctifies us. And He also does other things. In Ephesians 2, 18-22, Paul says, For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself, being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In short, the Spirit gathers believers together to worship God and to know him through the church. Christ saves us and others in order that we might gather together in fellowship under a common faith praising our Savior. The Spirit who applies Christ's work, who seals our lives and sanctifies us, also gives us a desire to gather together bodily with believers. But the presence of God shows us a bit more about the church here as well. Because not only only is the church a body of gathered believers, but it is also a manifestation of God's presence in the world. The church, while itself having no power to save, does point us to the one who can save. When God is present in Christ, he saves a people who because of the presence of God in the Spirit reflect to the watching world Christ's own character, glory, and presence to the world. Therefore, the church is a thing that is deeply tied to God's presence. We are the people who are saved by God and we are marked out by God, for God. And it should come as no surprise to us then that Paul declares the church to be a temple of God, to be the temple of God, which is how God dwells with his people in the new covenant. The imagery of the tabernacle and of the temple 
is something we find in the Old Testament as the place where God would dwell with his people on earth and rule and reign and deliver in the midst of them. But he would do so in the uh, temple or the tabernacle. He would demonstrate his work among his people for his redemptive goals and the spread of his end-time presence. But due to the sin of Israel, we know the temple ultimately failed. And it is only with the coming of the new covenant that it finds his completion. And as we trace this theme of the temple and the tabernacle throughout the Old Testament and into the new, we find it as Jesus tabernacled on earth, ultimately as the fullness of God's presence in one man. And we could see that presence. But it doesn't stop there because it is now found in the church. All throughout the New Testament, we see the image of the church as a redeemed community, which, through the sanctification which the Holy Spirit brings and accomplishes, creates the dwelling place of God. There's a big emphasis on the church as the temple of God in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, which says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. We find here this sort of corporate emphasis in this passage, not an individual one that Paul is talking about, but a group of people. And he's picking up on the Old, Te- Old Testament temple imagery from Leviticus, which is indicating that it is fulfilled in God's dwelling with his people, corporately, together. Therefore, the church is the fulfillment of the institution of the tabernacle. The Holy Spirit works in the lives of believers to create a community who is defined by the presence of God dwelling with them. That presence, which we know was once confined to the tabernacle, is now being fulfilled by the Holy Spirit to the church. The New Testament, in some sense, shows how the gathering of the church is a new temple for God's presence in the world in order to continue the work of redemption and make way for the coming new heavens and new earth. And so the Spirit dwells within the church as the presence of God. The Spirit also fuels the church, church's mission. Since the church is the temple of God now, it also has an important role to play in evangelism. One of the church's main roles, not its only roles, but one of its main roles is to spread the gospel to the nations. In a practical sense, we do this by means of missions, actually going out and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family, to our co-workers, to those across the, the continents who have not heard the name of Jesus. But it's important for us to recognize we don't do this just out of mere obedience, Because of God's presence in the church, we are enabled to partake in God's redemptive work. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, acting through our evangelism, through our ministry, the kingdom of God will go forwards. God will spread to the nations. Because when we share the gospel, the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus, we are offering the opportunity for others to join with us, to become part of God's family to experience the presence of God. And in our current place in redemptive history, 
the church functions and wants us to work out God's redemptive presence in the world by sharing with those around us God's salvation. It's why at the beginning of Matthew, uh, it contains the fulfillment of the promised Emmanuel, God with us. And it ends with the reassurance that God's presence will still function even until Jesus returns. When we consider the Great Commission at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, we learn that in some ways, the people of the church become ambassadors of God's redemptive purpose. The mission of God has been transferred to his disciples, to his followers. In Matthew 28, the church is to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this is only accomplished through Christ's presence. Therefore, as the Spirit makes the church the temple of God, He also works through the church to bring about God's redemptive purposes. We are to graciously share the good news so that the Spirit might awaken those who have not heard it to newness of life, to bring them into knowledge of the saving work of Jesus Christ. We don't just get to stand by and let the Spirit do all the work here either. Rather, by the grace of God, we become instruments which the Spirit uses to accomplish His good purposes. Therefore, the church, through the work of the Spirit, is where the presence of God rests, which also fuels the mission of the church to bring others near. This calling we have on our lives to share the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations is not the only role of our lives. It's just a big external reality of the purpose of the church. One of the internal missions of the church is to sanctify, to grow us in Christ-likeness. In other words, we do life together. We seek to encourage and to sanctify, to correct and to prepare one another for an eternity where we will spend with each other in the presence of our God. The church then is a sanctifying and sustaining power in the lives of believers. Ephesians 2, 21 and 22 says, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul is making it clear here that one of his goals while on earth is to encourage believers towards greater holiness. It's an ongoing process to become the temple of the Lord as indicated in verse 21. The idea, this idea of us being built together demonstrates a level of together sanctification. We are corporately growing together towards Christ-likeness, towards holiness. One of the goals here of the Spirit is to sanctify us in order that we might be prepared to spend an eternity with our Savior in the presence of God. And one of the ways which He does this is through the church. Much of the New Testament is for the instruction of believers, for us, how we should grow to be more like Christ. We are encouraged in so many ways to do these things to become more like Christ, to put off the old and put on the new. When we think about the audience of these letters in the New Testament, most of them were written to a body of believers, or at least intended to be read in public. And so what we can learn from this is that in some ways, sanctification takes place largely through the life of the church. Within the church, there are various means and ministries which are used to grow us to be in greater Christ-likeness. One example would be the teaching and preaching of God's Word. 
We could say the ministry of the Word is a sanctifying agent in our lives. As we hear the Word of God proclaimed and preached and taught, the Spirit convicts us of sin, and we also learn more about what it looks like to follow Jesus and who He is and what He has done for us. We can also see another example in church discipline as a sanctifying agent of this church. As we read throughout the New Testament, we find many commands for the church to be holy, to be obedient. Mark Dever, pastor in D.C., makes a point that in some ways, all of church life is part of discipline. It's positive, shaping, formative discipline. But there's also the more difficult form of church discipline as well. And this is the kind which we would more commonly think about when we hear the term church discipline. Church discipline's ultimate goal is repentance and restoration of a member who is in grievous sin whose soul is at stake and whose rebellion against God is now affecting other believers within the body. And while difficult, church discipline, when accomplished biblically, shows a deeper love than any of the world might have known. Because the goal of it is entire the holiness of a rebellious people in order to restore them through repentance to God's presence. So the church acts in many ways as a sanctifying agent and a sustaining power in the lives of believers through the presence of God. And I know <clears throat> we've jumped around a lot this morning, and I hope that it's been somewhat clear to you as we've considered the presence of God through the Spirit in the church. That even though Jesus has ascended into heaven, he was the fullness of the presence of God on earth in one man, we are not left without hope or without the presence of God. Uh, and as we await Christ's return, we know that God has given us his spirit to dwell with us and among his people as his current presence on earth. A quote from David Platt in his closing address at the Gospel Coalition says this really well. He says, it is a really good thing that Jesus left the earth because now it's not the fullness of God's presence on one person, it's the fullness of God's presence on all his people. Brothers and sisters, this is such good news for us. We have been given direct access to God in any place, in any time. The period we live in today is the best, for us, best time for us to live since the Garden of Eden. Because we get to experience the presence of God. No longer is it one person, once per year, with special clothing, with incense that would block their eyes from the presence of God, and with atoning blood for, uh, for atonement allowed in the presence of God. But all of us, through the presence of God, of the Spirit. And yet, friends, we must remember that still, this is still not the best, for the best is still to come. While we have the most best access to the presence of God as Christians since Adam and Eve, it still pales into comparison of the unhindered fellowship which Adam and Eve experienced in the Garden of Eden, and we will one day once again experience. We are still in a mediated fellowship that is still affected by sin. The goodness of what we have now is still incomplete. This is what we call the already not yet, where Christ has come and he has paid the price for our sin, but he has not yet returned, making all things new. And so as we look forward to the day when Christ returns and our fellowship with God is no longer mediated and we dwell forever with God in his presence, in the new heaven, in the new earth, we long for that day to come. This is what the Spirit is preparing us for, what He's sanctifying us for. For the dwelling place of God is with man. Let's pray.